Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. Preface. The secret of using this book to change your life. Discovery of the self-image represents a breakthrough in psychology and in the field of creative personality. The significance of the self-image has been recognized since the early 1950s, yet there had been little written about it before psychocybernetics. Curiously enough, this is not because self-image psychology has not worked, but because it has worked so amazingly well. As one of my colleagues expressed it, I am reluctant to publish my findings, especially for the lay public, because it, if I presented some of the case histories and described the rather amazing and spectacular improvements in personality, I would be accused of exaggerating or trying to start a cult or both. I too felt the same sort of reluctance. Any book I might write on the subject would be sure to be regarded as somewhat unorthodox by some of my colleagues for several reasons. In the first place, it is somewhat unorthodox for a plastic surgeon to write a book on psychology. In the second place, it will probably be regarded in some quarters as even more unorthodox to go outside the tight little dogma, the closed system of the science of psychology, and seek answers concerning human behavior in the fields of physics, anatomy, and the new science of cybernetics. My answer is that any good plastic surgeon is and must be a psychologist, whether he would have it so or not. When you change a man's face, you almost invariably change his future, change his physical image, and nearly always you change the man, his personality, his behavior, and sometimes even his basic talents and ability. Beauty is more than skin deep. A plastic surgeon does not simply alter a man's face. He alters the man's inner self. The incisions he makes are more than skin deep. They frequently cut deep into the psyche as well. I decided a long time ago that this is an awesome responsibility and that I owe it to my patients and to myself to know something about what I am doing. No responsible MD would attempt to perform extensive plastic surgery without specialized knowledge and training. Just so, I feel that if I'm changing a man's face, it's going to change the inner man as well. I have a responsibility to acquire specialized knowledge in that field also. Failures lead to success. In a previous book written 20 years ago, New Faces, New Futures, I published more or less a collection of case histories where plastic surgery, and particularly facial plastic surgery, had opened the door to a new life for many people. That book told of amazing changes that often occur quite suddenly and dramatically in a person's personality when you change his face. I was elated at my successes in this respect, but like Sir Humphrey Davy, I learned from my failures from more than for my successes. Some patients showed no change in personality after surgery. In most cases, a person had a conspicuously ugly face or some freakish feature corrected by surgery. Experience in almost immediately, usually within 21 days, rise in self-esteem and self-confidence. But in some cases, the patient continued to feel inadequate and experienced feelings of inferiority. In short, these failures continued to feel, act, and behave just as they still had an ugly face. This is indicated to me that reconstruction of the physical image itself was not the real key to changes in personality. There was something else, which was usually influenced by facial surgery, but sometimes not. When this something else was reconstructed, the person himself changed. When this something else was not reconstructed, the person himself remained the same, although his physical features might not be radically different.
the face of personality. It was as if personality itself had a face. This non-physical face of personality seemed to be the real key to the personality change. If it remains scared, distorted, ugly, or inferior, the person himself acted out this role in his behavior, regardless of the changes in physical appearance. If this face of personality could be reconstructed, if old emotional scars could be removed, then the person himself changed, even without facial plastic surgery. Once I began to explore this area, I found more and more phenomena that confirmed the fact that self-image, the individual's mental and spiritual concept or picture of himself, was the real key to personality and behavior. More about this in the first chapter. Truth is where you find it. I have always believed in going wherever it may be necessary to find truth, even if it meant international boundaries being crossed. When I decided to become a plastic surgeon years ago, German doctors were far ahead of the rest of the world in this field, so I went to Germany. In my search for the self-image, I also had to cross boundaries, although invisible ones. Although the science of psychology acknowledged the self-image and its role in human behavior, psychology's answers to questions of how the self-image exerts its influence, how it creates a new personality, what happens inside the human nervous system when the self-image is changed, was somehow... I found most of my answers in the new science of cybernetics, which restored teology as a respectable concept in science. It is rather strange that the new science of cybernetics grew out of the work of physicists and mathematicians rather than that of psychologists, especially when it is understood that cybernetics has to do with teology. The goal-striving, the goal-oriented behavior of mecha mechanical systems. Cybernetics explains what happens, and what is necessary in the purposeful behavior of machines. Psychology, with all of its vaunted knowledge of the human psyche, had no satisfactory answer for such a simple, goal-oriented, purposeful situation as, for example, how it is possible for a human being to pick up a pen from a desk. But a physicist had an answer. The proponents of many psychological theories were somewhat comparable to men who speculated as to what was in outer space and on other planets, but could not tell what was in their own backyards. The new science of cybernetics made it possible an important breakthrough in psychology. I myself take no credit for the breakthrough, other than the recognition of it. The fact that this breakthrough came from the work of physicists and mathematicians should not surprise us. Any breakthrough in science is likely to come from outside the system. Experts are the most thoroughly familiar with the developed knowledge inside the prescribed boundaries of a given science. Any new knowledge must usually come from the outside, not from experts, but from someone who has defined an inert. Pastor was not an MD. The Wright brothers were not aeronautical engineers, but bicycle mechanics. Einstein, properly speaking, was not a physicist, but a mathematician. Yet his findings in mathematics completely turned upside down all the pet theories in physics. Madame Curie was not an MD, but a physicist. Yet she made important contributions to medical science. How can you use this new knowledge? In this book, I have attempted not only to inform you of this new knowledge from the field of cybernetics, but also to demonstrate how you can use it in your own life to achieve goals that are important to you. General Principles the self-image is the key to human personality and human behavior. Change the self-image and you change the personality and the behavior. But more than this, the self-image sets boundaries of individuals' accomplishment. It defines what you can and cannot do. 
Expand the self-image and you expand the area of the possible. The development of an adequate, realistic self-image will seem to imbue the, the individual with new capabilities, new talents, and literally turn failure into success. Self-image psychology has not only been proven on its own merits, but it explains many phenomena that have long been known but not properly understood in the past. For example, there is today irrefutable clinical evidence in the fields of individual psychology, psychosomatic medicine, and industrial psychology that are success-type personalities and failure-type personalities, happiness-prone personalities and unhappiness-prone personalities, health-prone personalities and disease-prone personalities. Self-image psychology throws new light on these and many other observable facts of life. It throws new light on the power of positive thinking and more importantly, explains why it works with some individuals and not with others. Positive thinking does indeed work when it is consistent with the individual's self-image. It literally cannot work when it is inconsistent with the self-image until the self-image itself has been changed. In order to understand self-image psychology and use it in your own life, you need to know something of the mechanism and it employs to accomplish its goal. There is an abundance of scientific evidence that shows that the human brain and nervous system operate purposefully in accordance with the known principle of cybernetics to accomplish goals of the individual. Insofar as function is concerned, the brain and nervous system constitute a marvelous and complex goal-striving mechanism, a sort of built-in automatic guidance system that works for you as a success mechanism or against you as a failure mechanism depending on how you, the operator, operated in the goals you set for it. It is also rather ironic that cybernetics, which began as a study of machines and mechanical principles, go far to restore the dignity of man as a unique creative being. Psychology, which began with the study of a man's psyche or soul, almost ended by depriving man of his soul. The behaviorist who understood neither the man nor his machine and thereby confused the one with the other, told us that thought is merely the movement of electrons and consciousness merely a chemical action. Will and purpose were myths. Cybernetics, which began with the study of physical machines, makes no mistake. This science of cybernetics does not tell us that man is a machine, but that man has and uses a machine. Moreover, it tells us how that machine functions and how it can be used. Experiencing the Secret the self-image is changed for better or worse, not by intellect alone or by intellectual knowledge alone, but by experiencing. Wittingly or unwittingly, you developed your self-image by your creative experiencing in the past. You could change it by the same method. It is not the child who is taught about love, but the child who has experienced love that grows into a healthy, happy, well-adjusted adult. Our present state or self-confidence in poise is the result of what we have experienced rather than what we have learned intellectually. Self-image psychology also bridges the gap and resolves apparent conflicts between the various therapeutic methods used today. It furnishes a common denominator for direct and indirect counseling, clinical psychology, psychoanalysis, and even auto-suggestion. All in one way or another, use creative experiencing to build a better self-image. Regardless of theories, this is what really happens. For example, in the therapeutic situation employed by the psychoanalytical school, the analyst never criticizes, disapproves, or moralizes, is never shocked as the patient pours out his fears, his shame, his guilt feelings, and his bad thoughts. 
For perhaps the first time in his life, the patient experiences acceptance as a human being. He feels that his self has some worth and dignity, and he comes to accept himself and to conceive others as his self in new terms. Science discovers synthetic experience. Another discovery, this time in the field of experimental and clinical psychology, enables us to use experiencing as a different and direct controlled method of changing the self-image. Actual real-life experiences can be a hard and ruthless teacher. Throw a man in water over his head, and the experience may teach him to swim. The same experience may cause another man to drown. The army makes a man out of many young boys, but there is no doubting that army experience also makes many psychoneurotics. For centuries, it has been recognized that nothing succeeds like success. We learn to function successfully by experiencing success. Memories of past successes act as a built-in stored information, which gives us self-confidence for the present task. But how can a person draw upon memories of past successful experiences when he has experienced only failure? His plight is somewhat comparable to the young man who cannot secure a job because he has no experience and cannot acquire experience because he cannot get a job. This dilemma was solved by another important discovery that, for all practical purposes, allows us to synthesize experience, to literally create experience and control it in the laboratory of our minds. Both experimental and clinical psychology have proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that human nervous system cannot tell the difference between an actual experience and an actual imagined vividly and in detail. Although this may appear to be a rather extravagant statement, in this book we will examine some controlled laboratory experiments where this type of synthetics experience has been used in very practical ways to improve skill in dart throwing and shooting basketball goals. We will see it at work in the lives of individuals who have used it to improve their skills in public speaking, overcome fear of the dentist, develop social poise, develop self-confidence, sell more goods, become more proficient in chess, and in practically every other conceivable type of situation where experience is recognized to bring success. We will take a look at an amazing experiment in which two prominent psychologists arranged things so that neurotics could experience normally and thereby cure them. Perhaps most of all, we will learn how chronically unhappy people have learned to enjoy life by experiencing happiness. The secret of using this book to change your life. This book has been designed not merely to be read, but to be experienced. You can acquire information from reading a book, but to experience, you must creatively respond to information. Acquiring information itself is a passive. Experience is active. When you experience something, happens inside your nervous system and your midbrain. New engrams and neural patterns are recorded in the gray matter of your brain. This book has been designed to force you to literally experience Tailor-made, prefabricated cases, histories have been kept intentionally to a minimum. Instead, you are asked to furnish your own case histories by ex exercising imagination and memory. I have not supplied summaries at the end of each chapter. Instead, you are asked to jot down the most important points that appeal to you as key points that should be remembered. You will digest the information in this book better if you do your own analysis and summaries of the chapters. Finally, you will find throughout the book certain things to do and certain practices, exercises that you are asked to perform. 
These exercises are simple and easy to perform, but they must be done regularly if you are to derive maximum benefit from them. Reserve judgment for 21 days. Do not allow yourself to become discouraged if nothing seems to happen when you set about practicing the various techniques outlined in this book for changing your self-image. Instead, reserve judgment and go on practicing for a minimum period of 21 days. It usually requires a minimum of about 21 days to affect any perceptible change in mental image. Following plastic surgery, it takes about 21 days for the average patient to get used to his new face. When an arm or leg is amputated, the phantom limb persists for about 21 days. People must live in a new house for about three weeks before it begins to seem like home. These and many other commonly absorbed phenomena tend to show that it is a required minimum of about 21 days for an old mental image to dissolve and a new one to gel. Therefore, you will derive more benefit from this book if you will secure your own consent to reserve critical judgment for at least three weeks. During this time, do not be continually looking over your shoulder, so to speak, or trying to measure your progress. During the 21 days, do not argue intellectually with the ideas presented. Do not debate with yourself as to whether they will work or not. Perform the exercises, even if they seem impractical to you. Persist in playing your new role, in thinking of yourself in new terms, even if you seem to be yourself somewhat hypocritical in doing so, and even if the new self-image feels a little uncomfortable or unnatural. You can neither prove nor disprove the ideas and concepts described in this book with intellectual argument or simply by talking about them. You could prove them to yourself by doing them and judging results for yourself. I am only asking that you reserve critical judgment and analytical argument for 21 days so that you will give yourself a fair chance to prove or disprove the validity in your own life. The building of an adequate self-image is something that should continue throughout a lifetime. Admittedly, we cannot accomplish a lifetime of growth in three weeks' time, but you can experience improvement within three weeks' time, and sometimes the improvement is quite drastic. What is success? Since I use the words success and successful throughout this book, I think it is important at the outset to define those terms. As I use these terms, success has nothing to do with prestige symbols, but with the creative accomplishment. Rightly speaking, no man should attempt to be a success, but every man can and should attempt to be successful. Trying to be a success in terms of acquiring prestige symbols and wearing certain badges leads to neuroticism and frustration and unhappiness. Striving to be successful brings not only material success, but satisfaction, fulfillment, and happiness. Noah Webster defines success as the satisfactory accomplishment of a goal sought for. Creative, creative striving for a goal that is important to you as a result of your own deep felt needs, aspirations, and talents, and not the symbols which the Joneses expect you to display, brings happiness as well as success because you will be functioning as you were meant to function. Man is by nature a goal-striving being. And because man is built that way, he is not happy unless he is functioning as he made to be functioning, as a goal-striver. Thus, true success and true happiness not only go together, but each enhances the other. 